Thank you, Lou. You know, I've asked uh, Lou to to read uh, actually scripture. Not that we'll be, I'll be preaching on the scripture. I'll be preaching on is in the insert, but it, what he was reading is kind of provides the prelude to, to help put it in its setting about uh, Judas and the betrayal that would take place. So in Jesus' great prayer for his disciples back in in John 17. And really what that was concluding were five chapters of John in which he's recording Jesus' efforts to prepare his disciples for his departure. It begins uh, back there in in chapter 13 in the upper room uh, with this verse, which it says, When Jesus knew that his hour had come, so he knows that his hour had come. Remember in the passage that Carlton read, and it said that basically they wanted to stone Jesus or arrest him, but they did not because the hour had not yet come. Well, now the hour is come. So Jesus, he's preparing his disciples for his departure, and he has been teaching them two things. One is how to treat one another, that they are to love them. He's taught them about how they are to be a witness in a hostile world. He's encouraged them about the promise of the Holy Spirit that he will be sending them. And then as we saw again in 17, he's prayed for them. Now the events, what is known as the Passion, begins. And today we will consider his arrest and the denial of Peter. We'll be looking at Jesus' trial, at his sentence, at his crucifixion, and at his death, which will take us right up to Easter. So our scene opens in the Garden of Gethsemane. Look with me as I read in verses 1 through 3. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. He uses here when he says, there was a garden. John is the only one of the gospel writers to refer to Gethsemane as a garden. Notice he doesn't even use the term Gethsemane. He just talks about a garden. It's not a far stretch to think that John wants his hearers to think of another garden, the original one, the Garden of Eden. And that first garden was the first Adam. And what happened? He gave into the temptation of the serpent. He plunged man into his misery. Well, now has come the second Adam into the garden. He, too, will be confronted by a snake in the form of Judas. John's a skillful writer. Won't you see also how he sets up his disciples on one side? On the other side enters Judas with his band of soldiers. And what John highlights in regards to this band of soldiers is their readiness for battle. They come with their lanterns with their torches, and with their weapons. It would seem, wouldn't it, that they have the upper hand, and yet in the encounter, these two parties, when they come together, 
Look with me again in verses 4 through 8. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing he. They drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. Now, first of all, note back there in verse 4, what it says that Jesus, knowing all that would happen, Jesus knows. Now, this is the, not so much that he has the ability to predict the action of his enemies. Okay, he knows what's going to take place and he can arrange for it. Now, what he knows is that he has the knowledge of the deeper story that is unfolding here. John puts it in this way, back in chapter 13, verse 3. He says, Jesus, knowing that the Father, and that he had come from God, and was going back to God. And that's when he washes the feet of his disciples. That's, it's in that context that he understands all that's going to happen to him. It's this knowledge that's going to enable him to act, as we will see here, with boldness, with composure, that he's going to display before this, this th- contrast Jesus for a moment with Judas. Judas had knowledge. He knew where to anticipate Jesus' whereabouts. He knew, or at least he thought he knew, which side to align himself with. But unlike Jesus who steps forward in front of his disciples, we just read about Judas. Well, he's always with, with these soldiers. And then what happens to the soldiers? They fall back. They stumble on the ground. Jesus speaks to them like an adult, confronting frightened children who are caught in their act of misbehaving. And he has to repeat his question. Whom do you seek? Now, words, when he asks, who do you seek? And they, they tell him whom. And he says, I am he. Now, he actually only says it twice, but John repeats it another time. Three times he repeats this. Now, it is possible that all that Jesus is simply saying, I'm, I am he whom you're looking for. There are only two Greek words here. It's I, just like we've read it in our translation, I am he. But any of you who are familiar with the Gospel of John, what's, what's in the Gospel of John that distinguishes it? It's the I am sayings. You know. um, and it's hard to believe then that John just has in mind, I am he. But that he wants something more for us to understand. Three of them, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. The most significant saying is in John 8:58, when he says, Before Abraham was, I am. And when his hearers heard him say that, they tried to stone him after that comment. Now, the name of God. 
Yahweh, Jehovah, the I am who I am. This time, instead of picking up stones, I don't know, maybe there's just something in the way that Jesus speaks, but he carries such an authority that the the soldiers, the hearers, they feel some kind of divine presence next to the disciples. We see how Jesus protects all of them, and we will hear him rebuke one of them. So look back with me again in the latter part of verse 8. Jesus says, so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you, uh, have, whom you gave me. I have lost not one. Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? That verse there, verse 11, that's the key. That is the verse that makes sense of the arrest of everything that's going to follow after that. But before considering it, I want to remark on a little note there in verse 10 in parentheses about that servant who was the recipient of Peter's sword swinging. Have you ever thought about this? How does John know his name? Nobody. And in many times other characters come in and we never know their names, but we know the name of this servant. Now from Luke, we're not told this in John, but from Luke, we know that Jesus actually healed that ear. I guess he picked it up and reattached it. Think about this for a moment. In the most unlikely of events, being the upper hand, what's happening? Even an enemy is being converted. Because probably the way that his name is known is that he became a member of that early church in Jerusalem. Just that itself is a neat story. Now let's, let's look again at verse 11. So Jesus, Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath, the Father has given me. He forbids Peter, he forbids his disciples to fight for him. Now, he's later, when he's appearing before Pilate, he will explain uh, his action there. He's saying the reason that his disciples did not fight was because his kingdom was on a different order altogether from the kingdoms of this world. It is for... For God's kingdom that Jesus has come. It is for the sake of that kingdom that he takes the cup that his father has given him. So let's talk about that cup now. If we were to look back over through the scriptures, there are basically two cups. There is the cup of blessing. You know, in Psalm 23, David speaks of his cup. That In Psalm 16, David, give thanks to the Lord because the Lord is his chosen portion and his cup. In Psalm 116, the psalmist speaks of lifting up the cup of salvation. But actually, more often, if you were to go through scriptures, you will read not about a cup of blessing, but about a cup of bitterness. 
and of wrath. Psalm 11, 6. Let the Lord rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be, their, shall be the portion of their cup. Or Psalm 75. It is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well, all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. Or we'll go to Revelation 14. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath of his anger. It is this cup that Jesus speaks of that he must drink from. Do you remember the time that the, the brothers James and John, I mean, they brazenly, they go up to Jesus and we, we have a request and says, well, what do you want? Well, when you're in your glory, we want to be on your right and your left. We want the top two places. You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? What he is saying to them is you have no idea. You have no idea of the depth of bitterness and suffering that comes in this cup that I must drink purpose. This is why he came into the world. To drink the judgment that is demanded for sin. Now this was the second time that Jesus rebuked Peter for trying to protect him in his mission. Once when Jesus was speaking of this of this very hour. And actually this took place right after Peter had made But he's speaking of this very hour, and he's saying that he must be taken into the hands of the elders and priests. He must be arrested and be killed. Peter had the temerity to take him aside and rebuke him for talking like that. And you might remember Jesus' response, his own rebuke. What did he say? Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on him. And now the arrest that was taking place at this very moment, the successive events that would place him on that cross. This is Jesus taking the cup now, and he is beginning to drink it. And he will not stop till he drinks it down to the very dregs. Particular passage, look with me in verse 12. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. At the end of John uh, 11, And he likely had in mind that Jesus needed to die to safeguard the people from rebelling against Rome. They wanted to make him king. And no doubt if that were to happen, it's going to cause a lot of trouble. It would be better for Jesus to die than for a lot of people to die in a rebellion. 
What John is doing here is resetting that on the cross. Now, for for our lessons, I want us to look at three significant words that we have encountered in our passage. First one is actually two words. I mentioned already that three times John records in our passage Jesus saying, I am, or I am he. Like I said, I, I just can't imagine John about the other I am expressions in this gospel, particularly in this context of what is happening now. What John is, is wanting us to understand is that the I am is about to yield himself to his creatures who want to remove his existence. That the I am the light of this world, he is about to let the forces of darkness, I am the good shepherd, is going to permit himself to be struck down. The I am the bread of life is, is about to give of himself to be devoured. That his own people do not want I am to be. He who was sent in love is, is being received with hatred. I am he who gives living water that produces eternal life. I am he who bears truth, who is truth itself. I am he who provides the way to God the Father because I am the way to the Father. I am he who gives life, for to have me is eternal life. And yet the I am is rejected he is soldiers with a traitor, come with their lanterns and torches. And just even think about that for a moment, how, what a mockery that is, contrasting with the light of the world who is standing before them. But they come too with their swords to capture him, to deliver him over to his death. And so John wants us to understand who it is that gives. This is not a a mere good man. This is not uh, even a, a mere holy man. He's not even, say, the best man who ever lived. He is the I am. He is our Lord and our God, as Thomas will later confess. He is a king. He is the king of the kingdom that matters. Great work of redeeming his people as our, as our champion, bringing us into his kingdom. So there is I am that he puts or repeats three times. There's another word that appears three times. It is that word seek. Whom do you seek, Jesus asked. His captors reply, Jesus of Nazareth. It's the saddest part of the whole episode. You think about this. Men go out to seek Jesus. And they find him. He stands before them as the I am, as God in the flesh. And what do they see? You see a man from a small village. You know, to seek Jesus is the most essential in woman. There is nothing more important than to seek And to find Jesus, our Redeemer and Lord. You know, and he's not difficult to find. Seek and you will find, Jesus says. He's not hidden among 
you know, secret, esoteric knowledge that you've got to spend years trying to understand to attend. No mountains to climb to some guru, no seas to cross over. You don't have to be initiated into secret rites. Jesus, he is before you, before us, as he was before his captors. And many today, just like those captors, they fail to see him for the very same reason. Because they've already determined who or what they will find. And they are looking for nothing more than a man like themselves. And if this is what you're looking for, this is what you will find. You know, I, I was seeing online um, just this week as I'm preparing for the sermon, and, and the, um, he's writing an article saying, you know, if Jesus were living today, and he had the knowledge that we have today, well, he would be an atheist. And they're, and they're atheists with their, their T-shirts, atheists for Jesus, meaning they believe in this good man. Well, that's all what you're looking for. That's all you're going to find. Now, but an enemy to missing. You know, as I said, most people, look, even atheists, will speak well of Jesus as a good moral teacher. But they will not permit him to be what he claims to be, the I am. Now, understand, though, that, that it's not merely the atheists, not merely agnostics, not merely people of other religions. We have to be careful to understand that even those who profess to be Christians can miss him. There are many who sit in churches, who sit in conservative churches, who recite the Apostles' Creed or the, the Nicene Creed, and they, they think it's a shame. That Jesus is not professed to be God. Who Jesus, who is not the I am. What they have found is a Jesus, and he can be God, who fits their agenda. That might be the agenda of God and country. It might be the agenda of, of maintaining traditional values. Their Jesus might be very useful to their careers. They have found a Jesus who fits in Jesus, who is the I am, before whom they must conform their lives. Now, in both cases, there is the problem is, is that there is but a half-hearted uh, seeking. Moses told his people regarding Yahweh or Jehovah, the, the I am, he speaks for God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. With all your heart, with all your soul. Now, what's being said here is not, this isn't a way of just saying, if you just do it really hard. And what he's speaking of is if you will seek him, when you come to the point of submitting your whole self to Jesus, I guarantee you, you will find him. So we've looked here at the lesson of I am, knowing who it is that gave of himself. Seek, 
that when we seek him, we need to give up ourselves. And then he spoke of that cup. And what we, when we consider what he has done and what he offers us, he has taken the cup of judgment of God's just divine wrath for our sins. He has drunk the judgment down to its bitterest dregs. Jesus is not a mere moral teacher who world how to be more loving. His mission cannot be reduced to, to showing you what a, what a really nice person, a good person looks like. I mean, if that were the case, then he did nothing more than to give us yet another set of rules to follow, to give us an impossible standard to live up to. Now, Jesus did not come to teach us, did not come to teach us how to avoid the cup. He came to drink the cup himself on our behalf. That is how he became the I am the way to God the Father. He paid our penalty. He took upon himself our judgment. This is what was prophesied of him in Isaiah's questions. He was crushed for our iniquity. peace, And with his wounds, we are healed. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Or look at it this way in terms of the cup. Jesus drank the bitter cup and drank the cup of salvation. This is how it's expressed in Psalm 116. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord, who, by the way, will hear me because of this cup I now have. This is to Jesus and soul. It is the only Jesus we are permitted to find if we're going to find the real Jesus, the I am Jesus. You know, when the, when the soldiers fell to the ground, you know, that was actually a very good response. What they ought to have done next was to stay on that ground and bowed before him. When there is nothing left for you to do but to bow before Jesus and to worship him, then you can know that the Jesus you thought has been found. We give you thanks and praise, our God, for our Lord Jesus Christ who came to this earth, revealed himself, who did this great work of salvation, of taking, who offers himself now to all who would seek him, who would know him. And Father, I do pray. I I pray for anyone here in this very sanctuary who have come to worship and yet still had never really understood our Lord Jesus, that they may know him truly as their Lord to worship and to adore. In his name we pray. Amen.